uh, <clears throat> want to thank Walter for doing a rather lengthy uh, reading. Is this on? Not picking me up. Okay, we'll use this one then. Um, I want to thank Walter for doing a lengthy reading, and uh, it is a rich passage. We're not going to look at all of it today, but um, we're looking to look at a certain portion of it. But uh, before I pray, I just want to say again how uh, blessed we are to once again uh, have among us uh, our dear uh, sister in Christ, uh, Ruth Mers, is once again among us, and uh, we're thankful for the years of um, her faithfulness and pr praying for me and so many others. And uh, we truly have been blessed to have so many praying for us over the years. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold wondrous things from your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Speak to us, we pray. And apply that truth to our hearts, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, Joyce and I lived in the northern Chicagoland area uh, while I was in seminary. Uh, we lived a life of seminary poverty, I guess you'd say. Uh, we, we didn't have a lot of extra money at all. We lived in a very modest, mobile home. It wasn't a trailer. It was a mobile home. And... Um, we were counting our pennies, literally. And uh, my wife entered my name into a radio contest. Um, she mentioned that she had sent a postcard in, said, put your name on it. She did one for herself. But uh, I got a phone call and from the radio station saying that I had won the grand prize. It was a, an amazing gift. They said included is a two-night stay at McCormick Plaza Hotel, which is sort of looking over... Uh, Soldier Field, I don't know where that is in Chicago, but um, uh, very fancy luxury uh, accommodations, had an additional suite on that uh, particular place. Uh, it had two box seats for the White Sox game at, at the time was uh, Kaminsky Park, and also a ride on a limousine from the hotel to the game and back. So we were thrilled. I mean, here I am. We don't have money to do anything. So this was unbelievable. So we're going to live like kings and queens for two days. And um, so sure enough, we were amazed to win something that we didn't have to pre-qualify for. We didn't have to pay any kind of fees. And we certainly didn't have to sit through any kind of presentation for two hours, you know, to try to sell you something. So uh, this radio station just gave us these things freely. Uh, without cost, without unearned, undeserved, they just said, here, this is yours. So we show up at this hotel, sort of comical. You know, here we are with a 1969 Plymouth Valiant, this car that's quite old, and there's fancy, you know, Cadillacs and limos, limos outside this fancy hotel. So we go in there, and they free of charge, we check in. Uh, free of charge, the limo shows up, takes us to the game, and we get to the ballpark, and in the throng of the crowd there, we made our way to the gate we're supposed to go to. We explained who we are, and we're here with our free tickets. And the guy goes, I don't know what you're talking about. We have no tickets for you. So we're trying to think, now, what do we do? Uh, so anyway, as a long story, uh, we waited out for a while, kept pleading with them, kept explaining. There's nothing we can do about it. This is what we were told. So the guy said, look, just go in. Go find a place to sit and enjoy the game. 
So we go in and we're in the park. And at that point, we're pretty much trying to avoid the ushers because the ushers are always saying, let me see your tickets. You know, like we're going to find your seat, you know, or just sort of meandering around. They end up left field somewhere way up high. That's okay. We were graciously given these free accommodations, this luxury ride, you know, and, all, and, the, and supposedly we got in the game for free. But once we're in the stadium, we were on our own. We were fending for ourselves. If we want anything to eat, I had to figure that out because I didn't bring a lot of money with me. As I said, we were pitching pennies. We didn't have a lot of money. And so we had to rely on our own efforts, our own resources at that point. Now, I say this as an introduction to get us to think. I think sometimes we as Christians and in the Christian life, we are very much aware of the fact that as we enter into the Christian life, we do so on the basis of grace. We do so knowing that we don't deserve anything from God but his judgment and condemnation. And God bestows the favor on undeserving sinners who cannot earn in any way any kind of, of, of acceptance before him on our own. And God lavishes on repentant sinners, according to Ephesians 1. He didn't just dole it out a little bit, a little bit. He lavishes grace upon us in all sorts of privileges that we don't deserve and various privileges that we could never earn through regeneration, adoption, justification, redemption, all those great things. And everyone who believes in Christ is restored. They are forgiven. They are given a new status as a child of God on the basis of grace, undeserved favor. But some of us who have taken that response of repentance and faith, and we've understood and grasped a little bit of the amazingness of grace, we obviously understand that salvation we are saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves is a gift of God, not of works. There's no boasting involved here at all. We understand that. But we also have a tendency, it seems to me, to shift into the mode of self-reliant living. By that I mean we understand and praise God for his grace to bring us into the family of God. But then we find ourselves relying on our own ingenuity, relying on our own uh, uh, sometime, somehow to live out the Christian life. And, and at the beginning of the Christian life, we're, of course, we're showered with all this free favor of God. But then after a while goes by, we get overwhelmed when we face trials and difficulties, which are inevitable, and we all go through them. None of us is immune to that. Here we have heartaches that hang over us like some thick fog and we can't seem to get out of it. And during those trials, as a follower of Jesus, some of us, we understand that, yes, we're blessed to be in the stadium, but we feel like we're all on our own fending for ourselves in the Christian life. It's no wonder that some of us have grown weary. It's no wonder that some of us are in the mode of feeling like we always have to sort of improve ourselves if we're ever going to find help. We have to figure it out ourselves, and then maybe God can give us a hand. It's no wonder, no wonder so many of us are anemic, spiritually speaking that we might be sort of running on fumes or lacking in love for Christ or lacking in zeal to build his kingdom. And so this morning I want to direct your attention into this text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a, a passage of scripture that has tremendous encouragement, 
tremendous encouragement as we're especially going through this series on seeking God and we have understood the call to um, repent, the call to be honest with God, the, the, the call to um, be humble and humble ourselves before God. So I want us to look now at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to focus really on two principles in this text. By the way, it's found on page 1381-82 in your pew Bible. But here's the first point I want to make. Sustained suffering. Sustained suffering is never wasted in the purposes of God in Christ. Now, we're never going to fully understand this text that Paul has written in this epistle unless we get, again, the life situation he faced. And Walter gave us a little bit of the background of that so we can understand as he read it through. But this passage was written about 20-some years, 22, 23 years, they estimate, after Paul had come to faith in Christ. A dramatic, complete turnaround for this guy, Saul the Pharisee. And now he is a mature committed follower of Jesus Christ. He is a person who has indeed been following Christ for a number of years. He is highly effective now in his missionary ministry, which he's been conducting for the last 10 years. He's been on the run, going here and going there. And he's been planting churches rather effectively as a missionary of the gospel. And he was, at the time he wrote this letter, with all of the, the great things that he's accomplished as a missionary church planter, he is in deep pain. Deep pain. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, you know that Paul was actually in torment. The members of this Corinthian church, among whom he had labored now, he had invested his life into these people for two years, he had spent so much time teaching them and sharing Christ with them and helping them and speaking into all the kinds of issues and challenges they were facing in that particular church and community. And, and now they had chosen, after all those years of investing in them, they have chosen to reject him. They have pushed him aside and embraced these false apostles who have come onto the scene with all their big showy extravagance and they've said, nah, Paul, we don't think you're, you're meeting up to the standards of what a true apostle should be like. And here they are giving their devotion and their loyalty to a bunch of false prophets go around bragging about how large of amount of money that they demand for ministering their quote-unquote ministries and how they have all these great qualifications about, you know, having great speaking abilities and whatever. And here is Paul. In the midst of this situation, his integrity is being questioned. They think that all of his motives to do his ministry have all been now turned upside down. They think he's there just for the money. And he's, he's been falsely accused. His credentials are being ignored. His pain was so severe that Paul says, I'm going to describe the pain I'm in as if I had a tent stake that's been pounded into my side. Sometimes we think of thorns as something on a rose bush, that's a very inaccurate kind of understanding. The term here is a stake. He is in deep pain. I'm sorry about all the, the popping. 
But in the midst of this agonizing, heart-wrenching suffering, Paul was absolutely confident that God had a purpose for this trial. And one reason God allowed this in Paul's life, verse 7, very clearly, the one reason God made very clear to him was that this suffering, this difficulty in your life is here for the purpose of to keep you from exalting yourself. Now, as we've worked through our material here in the Seeking Him series, we know that one of the things we've been reminded of is that we all have in our hearts various forms of pride. It lingers there. It infects us in so many different areas of our life. Um, sometimes we're not even aware it's there. And this passage is reminding this that all of us struggle in different ways with this pride of self-sufficiency. We like to be able to cope with things on our own. And rather than relying on God moment by moment and day after day, we enjoy our autonomy. We enjoy our independence from God. And it's through the strong winds of trials and troubles, they are meant to push us toward God in relying on him and instead of it relying on ourselves. And we see this as a pattern that God has worked again and again in people's lives. It's not something he just does once or twice. It's something that's repeatedly done. For example, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can keep your finger there, 2 Corinthians 12. Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's the fifth book of the Old Testament, 8th chapter. Here we see God allowed a number of severe trials for the children of Israel during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this is at the conclusion of those 40 years of wandering. And God's going to give them a little bit of an explanation as to how do we make sense of all these difficulties we've lived through. It's been tremendously difficult. And this is what he says in verses 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is God's interpreting all of those troubles and trials. We read, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what God says here is that I have repeatedly brought you to the end of yourselves in order to teach you to be utterly dependent upon me. So what does that have to do with you and me? Well, it seems to me that when we have financial shortages, let's say, or if we have a shortage of willpower when facing a temptation, when we have a shortage of courage in dealing with an intimidating person or intimidating situation that we face, is it not likely that God is reminding us of how dependent we are on him? And the suffering that you are enduring this morning, and I don't know what that suffering may look like. 
Maybe it's a suffering that is mostly oriented toward things that are externally situated in your life. Maybe it's the fact that you have pressures at work that are really putting a strain on you. Uh, maybe it's because you have a, a problem in your marriage and there's this, uh, the people in your family, there's some really challenging difficulties you're facing there. Maybe it's some kind of legal proceeding. Who knows what kind of situation you're facing that has to do with something outside of you. That's a whole set of issues and trouble, troubles and trials, but there's also the suffering you might be facing is more like an internal trial and trouble. Maybe you're seeing that in your life there's this recurring sin pattern. It seems to just follow you around like a, a shadow on a sunny day. Maybe it's a secret sin that you have now been avoiding dealing with for a while, but now it's something that has now begun to uh, be more aware and present in your life and you're starting to deal with it and it's something you don't find yourself feeling very comfortable with or even what out it's something that's maybe come out into the open if you had to deal with it. Whatever your suffering is, God wants us to learn to lean on him. I have a quote in your notes there I'd like to draw to your attention by Jerry Bridges in his book, Transforming Grace, a very good book. If you ever want to read a helpful, helpful book on how God's grace can transform us on the inside, he says this, God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of his children. I want that to settle in just for a second into your mind. God never allows pain, or you could put suffering or trials or trouble without a purpose in the lives of his children. He never allows Satan, nor circumstances, nor any in, ill-intending person to afflict us unless he uses that affliction for our good. God never wastes pain. Wow, that is a, that is a word that we can hang on to if we're in pain. Do you really believe that? Are you willing to surrender to God and listen to what God is saying in the midst of your pain? That's what Apostle Paul finally was doing. It took a while till he got there, but God was making it very clear to him, there's a reason for this suffering in your life, keeping your pride in check. Do you see God working in your life to expose your tendency to live a life that tends to be rather self-reliant? You just deal with life on your own and you know God is out there somewhere, but it's not, he's not someone that you're really looking to for constant help. Are you seeing more and more just how much you need help because of this trouble that you're in? We need his help every day. Well, that's the first point is to realize there's a purpose that God has for ongoing suffering. I'd like to look at verses 8 and 9 now in 2 Corinthians 12 and consider the second principle here in this text that we're going to think about this morning. Concerning this awful form of suffering, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And Jesus has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
from that I extract this principle, and that is sufficient grace is always available. Sufficient grace is always available according to the promise and provision of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Did you notice here in this text that as Paul sought God in prayer again and again, that the trial and trouble that he went through was not removed? Even though he asked God earnestly, sincerely, repeatedly. And this is just a parenthetical thought, but I would just like to remind you that there's further evidence here we're provided in this text that the promises of these health and wealth I call them hucksters who have their ministries on television often. Their claims and promises are patently false because none of us has the divine power to speak into existence whatever reality we want. We call it the word of faith movement. You see, it's unbiblical to say that it's God's will that we have a trouble-free everyday healthy life in this broken and fallen world. That's not necessarily God's will for you. Now, God does and God can heal in this world, but it's not guaranteed that he will do that until we reach that day of final glorification. And so we continue to have trials just like Paul continued to have trials and troubles, despite the fact that we ask him to repeat, to repeatedly to remove them, and that's not a bad thing to do. But notice this. God's answer to Paul's earnest prayer for relief came in the form of a promise. A promise. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Since God's purpose is to lead his children away from pride and to lead them, instead of being a self-reliant type of life where we deal with life on our own, he wants to lead us toward becoming more dependent on him day by day, moment by moment. Jesus, therefore, is promising grace. And we would understand the word grace here to mean not the way we normally understand grace, which is unmerited favor, through Jesus Christ, but we understand that the word grace here to mean that Jesus is promising divine assistance through the Holy Spirit, divine assistance or help. So God's promising that he would enable Paul as part of his humbling process to deal with an otherwise impossible or, or overwhelming situation. And as we've had to work through the last several weeks of looking in our hearts and examining some areas of our lives that we know full well that we are struggling with pride and we do struggle with being a self-reliant uh, follower of Jesus at times, how weak we really are spiritually. And we've seen how self-absorbed, how selfish we can be, how prone we are to living self-reliant lives. And so I trust some of us here have have perhaps, maybe many of us, have begun to repent of sins in which we've seen those things become evident to us and, and we've acknowledged those to the Lord and we've begun to turn from those things. And, and that's good because why? The Holy Spirit will oftentimes point his spotlight onto areas and we need to acknowledge that and deal with that in our life. But what I want to focus here on today is this. There's room for encouragement here. Jesus promises 
his help. He's promising that he's going to help us with a help that is going to be sufficient to what you need and what you're facing in your life. His divine strength that he promises his children is totally adequate to the situation that you're facing. Now, I don't know what your situation is. My situation is different than yours. But whatever the situation is, there is a help. There is assistance that will enable you, enable me, to respond in ways in which God will help us to deal with it. And by this I mean the deeper the valley that you might find yourself in, my friend, there is deeper, even yet, deeper grace still. The greater our failure, the greater His grace can lift us up. You see, the more overwhelming our hardship that we face, the more empowering, the more enabling His grace is to us. God's not about to lead you or lead me into a storm and then just sort of say, well, fend for yourself. I got you here. You deal with it on your own now. No, in the, in the midst of our painful sorrow and loss, the man of sorrows comes along and he whispers, my grace is sufficient. My assistance is sufficient. My help is sufficient for you. Peter picked, learned this lesson probably the difficult way, like most of us, stumbling through life and having to have the lessons taught to him again and again. But he's able to tell in his own life how to help others in this area. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 has a very, very helpful promise and challenge that Peter offers his readers who were themselves undergoing tremendous persecution and trials as a follower of Jesus Christ during the Roman Empire. He says in the 10th verse of 1 Peter 5, after you have suffered for a little while, and I understand that little while to mean through this period of time in your life, who knows how long that was, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect or restore, put you back up into rightful order. He will confirm, he will strengthen, he himself will establish you. What's he mean? He means that God's going to repair the sin and perhaps the suffering that they have caused you to, to fall apart in different areas. He's going to put that back up right. He's going to make you secure and make you firm and support you so you're not going to totter as easily as perhaps you have in your life earlier. God is at work building in your life qualities and characters and to create a, a firmness of spirit in your character that you will persevere, that you will endure through some difficult times you go through in life. Why? Reminding you again and again, I'm going to give you the grace. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the assistance you need to get through this. Are you weak? God will strengthen you. Are you in need of hope, humility, deeper trust? My grace is sufficient for you. It is Philip Hughes, the commentator, wrote this. Every believer must learn that human weakness and divine grace go hand in hand together. The more aware you are of your weaknesses, my friend, the more confident you ought to be 
in the sufficiency of God's help and assistance and grace in Christ. Now I just want to add one other clarification here regarding God's help and assistance. His divine assistance is given as needed. As needed. Now, perhaps you're like us in our house. We have a closet that is designated as a pantry. And in that pantry is all kinds of uh, items that we've stored, uh, all sorts of non-perishable food items, uh, all sorts of soups and cans and all this stuff, paper towels also. We have pasta. and I mean, everything in there that just you can imagine because uh, you go to Costco, you get, you get five of things, you know, and so th there's, there's multiple ones we have stored until we have need of it. And so we stock up. It's nice to have them every so often. We don't stock up like we used to when we had all these people eating us out of home and house uh, who no longer live with us. But, um, uh, but, but we, it's nice to have them on hand. But I would just remind you that God's assistance doesn't work like that. There's, there's no way you can stock up on God's grace. His assistance and grace and help is provided as we need it. Which means it's moment by moment. If you turn in your hymnal, uh, there's a hymn, number, page 370, called Day by Day. I don't know if you're familiar with that hymn. But wow, this author really understood this principle. Where the author who wrote it said, Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials right here today. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause to worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. That's what God does is he combines difficulties with his grace. Those things are part of the, the give and take that goes on in the walk with Christ. I won't read the rest of those stanzas, but it's very helpful to meditate on that in the week ahead. I think the same principle is taught in the in the uh, idea of the children of Israel going back to what they had to endure again. The whole idea of manna, this somehow the, the tiny little flakes that could be gathered at the beginning of a day and they would put these together and make bread out of them and have manna cakes and, and manna bread and, and manna whatever you can make out of it. I'm sure that it was the same thing they had many times. But they were told to collect it for the day except on a Friday and then you were supposed to collect it for the Sabbath. So you collect two days that day, but then if you just go back to collecting one day's worth, if you got more than you needed for that day and you thought, well, I'm going to have some I want to collect tomorrow, that would spoil automatically. And so the principle was go out and collect manna as needed per day, day by day. God's teaching them what? To learn to live in day-to-day -day reliance upon God. Don't try to rely on yesterday's grace for today. And don't try to rely on today's grace for tomorrow. But it's day by day looking to God for his help, his assistance, his grace. Now I want to push this a little bit further and bring it down to some practical level of how do we do that. 
And that is, we need to be careful not to think of this as just some kind of passive attitude that we take in which we say, okay, well, God's promised to help me, so I don't need to do too much. It's just going to happen. But notice, if you will, a verse that's, I think, quite interesting. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is instructing Timothy at the end of his life. Paul's about ready to die. He's been speaking into Timothy's life now for a number of years. Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Timothy has some struggles. He is struggling with the weakness that comes with fear that led him to be rather timid. And he would not oftentimes speak up when he should have spoken up. And he would back away from Paul and others who perhaps were starting to be persecuted. And he would sort of say, well, I don't know if I'm going to hang out with them as much. And so Paul had to speak into his life and he says this, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, God's grace must be appropriated. Appropriated. As I said, Timothy has all of these fears inside of him that sort of held him back from doing what he should have been doing at times. And Paul says, listen, be strong in the grace that's in Christ. In other words, let me urge you to endure the various trials and the difficulties that you need to face to gain strength by the help of God, particularly through gaining strength by looking to God in prayer. Because interestingly enough, Hebrews talks about praying essentially is going to the throne of grace, that we might find grace and mercy in time of need. So if you're struggling and you understand, you feel like, oh, I feel weak here, Lord. I am really weak. Pray. Go to the throne of grace. Ask God and keep asking God. That is a, a constant position that we should assume is that we need to keep asking God to give us mercy. Give us grace, Lord, in the situation I'm facing right here today, right now. And prayerfulness is the practical way in which we can express our humble reliance upon God in any and every situation of life. Now, I'm not talking about long extended prayers if you're in the middle of some situation at work or at school or the baby's crying and you've got to deal with something. You, de you offer up very quick SOS prayers. Lord, help me. Give me grace. I would suggest another way in addition to lifting up our concerns, our heartaches, our sorrows, our fears, our regrets, our struggles to the throne of grace, is to also remember that we are reminded of God's enabling grace the more we listen to him speak to us his promises, reminding us of Christ, reminding us of the, what he has given us assurance in the word of God, that he says, listen, I am not going to abandon you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to uphold you, which is my, one of my favorite verses from Isaiah 41.10. I say that often, very often in my head to myself whenever I cannot sleep and I'm getting stressed. The point is that there is grace promised, but we must take steps to be reminded of that grace and then to take that grace to heart and to act on it in a sense of turning to God in prayer and reading the word and listening carefully to what God says to us about his limitless resources in the midst of our weakness. Let's pray.
Father, we come to you today as people who have trouble. We have heartache. We have sadness, loneliness. We have pressure from without and pressure within. Many of us, Lord, are struggling with our own sin. We're struggling with our own lack of courage and boldness. Others of us are lacking in grace and, and in love and forgiveness for other people. Lord, we're weak. We need help. Thank you for reminding us today that you're a God who very lovingly and willingly gives help and assistance to your children and that that help is sufficient. It's more than enough. Lord, today encourage our hearts. Help us to deal with you on the basis of grace, not to think, Lord, that you're going to just merely on the basis of grace bring us into the stadium, as it were, and then let us fend for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to know that you're right here with us. And I pray, Lord, if there's any here today who have never come and experienced your grace for the first time, who've always assumed that they had to somehow improve themselves or they had to somehow do more and more to get on their good side. Lord, help them to understand it's on the basis of grace that we find salvation in Christ. All we can bring is our sin. All we can bring is our shame. But what you give us, Lord, is truly amazing. You give us Christ and all that he is and all he is for us. So Lord, we pray that you would bless us now as we come around the Lord's table. May the cross of Christ once again point us to the wonders of our Savior and his amazing grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.